Hello, everyone. It is my extreme pleasure to host uh, Dr. Tom Bradicic, the VP and Hewlett Packard Fellow of Edge and IoT Labs at HPE. Uh, and he will be talking today uh, about a number of uh, Edge and IoT topics in this Hewlett Packard Live podcast. Hello, Dr. Tom. Hello. Thanks for having me, and I'm excited to have this conversation. I'm looking forward. It's extremely interesting topic. Can we kick off with you telling us about the importance of IoT and Edge in technology today? Well, sure. The, the importance of IoT and the Edge is uh, uh, rather uh, easy to grasp and understand when you consider it in this context. I like to portion the places, the physical locations of where we have uh, in information technology, IoT, where we have networking technology, and then also operational technologies, which are dominant at the edge. So I call the edge the third place. Uh, the first place was the data center, mostly on-premises. The second place, uh, over 10 years ago, where a public or, let me say, remote cloud was formed, that was the second place. And now the edge is a third place. And it has always been a place, but it is extremely important now because more computing is taking place at the edge, okay? But more importantly, more action after the computing and after the analysis is taking place at the edge, at another place. So I like to say the edge is where the action is. Now, the edge can be many, many different places that are just not the data center. My definition of the edge is it's not the data center nor the cloud. And I think you would agree a cloud is simply a data center that nobody's supposed to know where it is. Exactly. So with those two definitions, you sort of have the data center plus the edge that makes the whole universe. And by the way, the edge could be outer space. The edge could be your home. The edge could be a manufacturing floor. The edge could be a battlefield as well. But the data at the edge is orders of magnitude greater than data in data centers or data that is done inside, if you will, of organizations. But out at the edge of the data, I like to say the data out at the edge is older because it's pre-existing in many cases, especially when IoT, the Internet of Things. So data from things, the T in IoT, is older. It exists. It's pent up. It needs to be unleashed. And those um, assets uh, render value. So I like to say the data at the edge is older, faster, and bigger than all other types of big data combined. And that's a pretty extraordinary statement, which uh, I think you'd agree with me. Bijan, that extraordinary statements require extraordinary evidence to back them. But yeah. it's easy if you think about even just you and me right now. The uh, information in our bodies, in our voices, the light in our room are all irrelevant. The weather outside your room, outside my room, uh, the, uh, the fact that it's video, which is among the largest uh, you know, uh, digital data sets in the world today, uh, comes from an analog point of view, right? Light as, as well. But all that data, all the way down to the vibration of the electrons, uh, in your body, in the cells in your body, right, which is untapped perhaps, but all that data is orders of magnitude bigger than all the financial data, all the stock market data, all the medical data that exists today. And the question is, how do you tap into it? How do you get an insight and do better than just get an insight, but take action to get better business outcomes or better societal outcomes? There's a lot of discussion about IT and OT, OT being operations technologies compared to information technologies. How do these two notions convert and what's their importance? I love this idea of the convergence of OT and IT. Let me define a few terms and uh, in case there are some listeners. Obviously, IT would be in the domain of computing, networking, and storage. 
and related security and services that we, we know that are information technology IT. Um, contrary-wise, OT is not IT. OT is operational technologies, and although there is some <clears throat> uh, overlap and indeed synergies, OT is operational technologies that are, uh, I like to categorize as control systems, data acquisition systems, and industrial protocols and networks that are not Wi-Fi and that are not Ethernet, if you will, right? Uh, and those are, of course, uh, IT-related type of uh, networks, but there is over 200 protocols, many of them legacy, out in the world today, in the uh, predominantly in the industrial IoT and the manufacturing space, and also in the energy and the oil and gas space that are, are not Wi-Fi, they're not uh, uh, Ethernet, but rather they are things like Profibus, CANBus, SCADA systems, you know, et cetera. Now, with that said, uh, the operational technology, let me pick a control system and a CAN bus, a car area network bus, can be built in synergistically, and I call that physical convergence, into a compute system with high-performance computing and with also uh, storage, <clears throat> and indeed uh, different types of networking, for example, Ethernet back to uh, a cloud. That would go back to, for example, a federated uh, data center in, a, in an organization. So this convergence of OT and IT is so important. And I, I like to look at uh, metaphors such as the smartphone. If I were to go back and visit with you 10 years and say, uh, Dijon, let me see your, your smartphone or your cell phone. You might show me a BlackBerry. You might maybe show me a, you know, a Motorola Razor, or you might show me something that had um, a cell phone capability, obviously, but almost nothing else, you know, if you will. Here we are, we fast forward today, and I bet you and every one of my listeners today will never buy another cell phone unless it has a camera and a GPS in it. Yeah. That would be unheard of 10 years ago. But what happened, thanks to the uh, genius of the Apple company, thanks to the genius of the Android you know, organization, and some of these early players, uh, you know, Nokia, Motorola, uh, BlackBerry, was taking separate consumer functions, like a video player, like a music player, like a GPS, like a flashlight, like a wallet, uh, if you're under 40, right, and putting it into a one device called the smartphone. That's why it's no longer just a cell phone, right? It's a smart device, a smartphone. Now the efficiencies of convergence physically like that are amazing. And also mm -hmm. the interaction, like today you can take a photograph of your lunch and post it on Instagram, Instagram, for example, immediately. Whereas before you could still do it, but now you're getting a higher performance. Now let's impute that metaphor out at the edge. We walk out at the edge into an industrial uh, setting, for example, or perhaps into an oil or gas setting. We may even move into a campus branch and we see um, different things. And I personally, when I walked out on manufacturing floors, I've seen control systems, data acquisition systems. And so there are seven or eight things out there. And then we took them, uh, by the way, with our Edgeline brand of, uh, and family of products, and we physically converged them, put them in the same, you know, the same, uh, same box. So there's uh, process convergence for OT and IT where the line of business and the operational technology executives uh, out at the plant, for example, will cooperate with the CIO and the IT team. That's process synergies and process convergence. There's data and software convergence, where data from a turbine on a uh, power plant will get put into the financial systems to determine a, a, um, a prediction of maintenance or prediction of replacement funding. And then the third one, like I said, is physical, where the functions are all in the same box. It is uh, amazing that that's happening, you know, out at the edge. And the companies who understand both, for example, 
How is it possible the Apple company became one of the ma major digital camera companies in the world today? And they're not even a camera company. You think about that, right? Well, that's because the genius of uh, perhaps Steve Jobs, God rest his soul, was that, well, wait a minute. Um, I want to become a phone company, even though I'm a computer company, and then I want to become a camera company. But I also am one of the greatest GPS companies in the world, but they're not a GPS company per se. And that's the idea that uh, people shouldn't shy away from. Well, I don't understand that. It's not, you know, it's not my uh, particular functionality, uh, but we have not. In HPE, we have stepped up to it, actually, and said we will have CAN buses. We will have uh, control systems and data acquisition systems that will offer through partners as well as organically. Um, you were talking quite a bit about the phones and enablers, but one of the newest technologies that will even further enable phones and other uh, vertical markets is 5G. Can you tell mm -hmm. us your perspective about 5G? Why is it so important? Why everyone's talking about it? What will it enable? Well, there's, there's two domains of any emerging technology to look at, and I've been uh, involved in it all my career back uh, when I was an I IBM, I was an IBM fellow, I moved to National Instruments, an OT company, and was a, a fellow there as well. So I, I spent a lot of time in the domain of how to uh, create innovation and uh, in emerging technologies. A lot of it has to do with prediction as well. So let's talk about, like you said, a particular one called 5G. Let's bifurcate it into the technology capabilities and the adoption. And there's many that have to adopt. There's supply side, there's demand side, and then there's subsets of all that. But from a technology point of view, uh, I don't think I should spend a lot of time saying that having better bandwidth is gonna be good. Uh, having more access points is going to be good. Having a lower cost, um, you know, eventually is gonna be good. Um, having higher reliability is going to be good. These are all the technology features. Let's suspend our disbelief in any of those. Let's say that it can, you know, get through different barriers uh, the, the, the particular wavelengths, right, as well. All these uh, physics and technology ideas. Let's just say it's going to be as advertised. So we can suspend our disbelief if we don't. Now let's move to more of uh, a less intuitive set of thoughts uh, called adoption. Here's my opinion as you're asking. Uh, there's three domains of adoption uh, on why I believe 5G is, if it meets the technical requirements that it has and if it meets some of the cost requirements that are needed, if it does, let's say that these are the unstoppable factors. Number one, I call it the one radio theory, that you and I as consumers, let's take our technology hat off and just, you know, we're husbands and fathers and we have things to do. We want one radio. The reason we want more than one radio, for example, is because not one radio does everything. We want cellular because it does something. We want Bluetooth because it does something. We want Wi-Fi because it does something and we want, uh, even near field, right? Because it does something with, uh, with you know, your electronic payment, et cetera. But wouldn't you agree it's better if it's just one? Because then you don't have to worry about switching it as well. So that's a consumer demand, one of three demands for 5G. And if 5G is the superset, one radio to do all, that's one thing that will have uh, value. So you don't have to switch over to a local area when you're using the um, cellular, you know, as well. You don't have to switch over to have it work with devices, okay? Number two, if you're a supplier and you build uh, smartphones, tablets, and uh, laptops, and you were to tell that supplier and that builder in manufacturing, which I have been in my career, wouldn't you like to build and test one radio versus four? Just that simple question. 
No. And the answer would be, well, what does the market want? But no, no, suspend that. Wouldn't you, as the supplier, want to test one? And look at the um, bill of material savings you would have, and you can keep that profit or pass it on to your in your price to your, your buyers. Or uh, maybe you like the idea of not having a matrix of testing four things. Have you ever done the exponential matrix? Uh, this one is on, but these two are off. But this one is on, and these three are off. Now this one is on, and you have to do all this testing, and it takes both time, money, and equipment. So now we have a second uh, driver or adopter called the manufacturers who want the one radio theory, right, to happen. And then the last one is the providers of the uh, uh, capability. Uh, I would think such as coffee shops, hotels. Uh, uh, do they really want to provide the connectivity or would they prefer you had your own? Now, granted there's a value if they provide it because then they can sell up and they can have ads and they can have control. I, I agree. but. Um, there's a very strong force of those who would say, you know, it's expensive. I have to hire a third party. I have to hook up um, these different uh, access points, et cetera. So if consumers came into my hotel or my coffee shop and they didn't want to use uh, what I'm providing, uh, I, I like that idea. So anyway, those are three forces, you know, on, on the demand side and the supply side that aren't really technology related. It's just assuming the technology works. And that's my point of view, the one radio uh, the uh, demand for the one radio theory. So now, even though this one radio theory is appealing to many parties, like I just said, it will be a long time before we uh, get to that. But we can actually do some abstracting of the multiple radio theory and what we're doing with our Aruba technology. As you know, Aruba is a, a, uh, a dominant player in the marketplace, a leading uh, Wi-Fi access point and uh, mobility services company we can uh, do on-ramps and seamless bridging from, uh, let me say, more local or even a little bit campus-wide Wi-Fi to the 5G global and remote reach as well. And that's really the future, you know, right now is that seamless integration that gives the impression of the, to the end user that it's one radio. You were just talking about Arua products, but you yourself build products. Can you tell us a little bit about what are your most successful ones? Well, I, I've been fortunate. I've had a lot of good support, <clears throat> a lot of good mentors, and um, I, I truly believe God has been good to me as I've gone through my career to create new uh, product categories. And I'd like to separate that from a new product. Yeah. Uh, a definition of a new product is a, a, a 2020 uh, pickup truck. It's a new product. It's new because it's not a 2019 model or an 18 model, but it's not a new product category because the pickup truck market exists. A next generation server is not a new product category. It's a new product in the category called servers. But there was a day there was no such thing as a laptop computer, a mobile computer. And uh, I had the privilege of pioneering the first ones. And I can remember my boss, uh, and I don't mean this negatively, but my boss saying, why would anyone ever carry around a computer? Can you imagine that? Now, um, many uh, years ago, that was a fair question because nobody carried around a computer. Well, you know, you have your PC on your desktop and, and you have, you know, data centers. Why would you carry one around, right, as well? Okay, so today um, I have three of them that I carry around because I consider my smartphone, uh, you know, a computing device because I can do so much on it as well, and I'm sure you do too. Uh, so that was one that I was excited about. I also worked on the first smartphone, if we consider it the uh, touchscreen with the integration of calendar. Many people don't realize that it was uh, the... Uh, um, uh, IBM company with a product called Simon that was pioneering that. So those are my days when I was in an in, in IBM. And then uh, I also had the uh, privilege of creating the first converged system enterprise class 
converged system where we compacted a networking, a compute, and a storage, and a systems management, and undergirded with security all in one box. So that first converged system uh, today has evolved into what we call synergy in our blade systems uh, here. And then we have competitors obviously offering these particular form factor products. But being able to pioneer that was uh, was wonderful. And I even had a, uh, a boss tell me to stop working on it because that uh, converged system market isn't going to take off. Uh, the form of blades, as it's sometimes called, right, is um, uh, well over a $10 billion opportunity, maybe, you know, more. I have to look at the numbers. Uh, but I, the reason I bring these little anecdotes up is because if those of you are interested in innovation, don't be discouraged, you know, when people are challenging you. Because when it's a new product category, okay, not a new product, because you have the history. Of course, you're going to do a 2021 pickup truck. We have, we have a market for that. We can go to all the analysts. We look at our sales from last year. Now you come in, you say, why don't we do something called a converged system or a smartphone? Or why don't we do something called a, you know, carry mobile laptop computer? There's no history. So you have to go on judgment, right? Right. Because the analyst community doesn't know about it. You have no company history. And uh, like I always say, if you look at being only, only data driven, right? Market data driven to make your decisions, you will never invent a new product category because there is no historic data on new product categories. Okay, and then one I'm most proud of, let me wrap up this question, is what we call the converged edge system, where we did combine operational technology like I talked about earlier with with, uh, information technology, IT. We put them in a single box for the first time. And and when I say that it was enterprise class IT, and also high performance operational technologies as well. And we did it with partners and then we've done it organically with the OT-Link uh, branded you know, uh, products lines that we have. But bringing those two together, I'm, I wouldn't claim it's a Nobel laureate uh, you know, type ideas, but it has the benefits when they come together of, of being lower power, right? being smaller, there's not a lot of space at the edge. So the converged edge system uh, recently, um, we're not aware of anyone in the market uh, right now that has that type of capabilities at the scale we have. When you can run VMware and a Oracle database at the edge, but also inside our control systems and data acquisition systems to get information from a smart grid or get information from a robotic arm, you know, very uh, quickly and on high performance, uh, that's the value that we, we've added. I'm looking forward to the fifth one, you know, in, in, uh, in my career. So we'll be, maybe we'll do another one uh, of these uh, videos on that if it happens. All these successful uh, creations of product categories, not just products, uh, didn't go unnoticed. You were awarded a number of awards uh, to list a few. CRN's top 100 executives, NC State Hall of Fame, uh, IBM's Academy of Technology. Tell us a little bit about them, why they are important, how do they motivate younger engineers to strive for them too? Well, Gee, when I get a question, please tell us about all the awards you won. Um, <laughs> I uh, have to be careful to um, uh, to be to be careful. I'm not prideful about this. Uh, uh, there's a verse in the Bible that said, "Pride, pride comes before the fall." So I want to be careful here, right? So, but you're asking me, so um, I'm very thankful and grateful uh, for these recognitions. I think they're important because they are a signal that you're doing something that is right. Because when you do innovation and differentiation and new product categories. And when you're a first mover, I'll define that term uh, later, but uh, you, you, you run into a lot of doubt because again, 
sometimes you're the sole inhabitant of the field of discourse in which you're trying to promote. I have been the only one promoting an idea that had uh, later been, it turned out to be a huge market opportunity and very profitable for the company. So um, uh, by the way, I've promoted ideas that weren't good, you know, as well. So um, Linus Pauling said, the famous quote, right? To get a good idea, you gotta have a lot of ideas. <laughs> you know, a, a, a statistics game as well. But uh, I think you're asking too, the importance of these are to um, signal uh, the benefits of what your company is doing. So I always have to think of not only, of course, myself, but uh, does my company HPE, does my former company's value from this? And that's why you get paid. And my obligation is first to, of course, our stockholders and the customers that we serve. So is it benefiting them, right? The company through our, through our shareholders, are we creating shareholder value and are we creating value for our customers so they can, um, they can um, benefit? Now what it's done, if you have uh, these type of recognitions like you've mentioned, is it opens doors. And what is the best thing for a customer? If you believe you have the best solution for a customer, then you believe the best thing the customer can do would be to listen to you and buy it. You have to have that sincerity. It's not just a sale, a transaction, but you sincerely believe right, that uh, a particular customer, and, and we have many, as you know, will benefit if they will listen and buy and deploy and partner you know, with us as well. So if you have that conviction, it can shift from a more selfish, you know, uh, let me say self-centered point of view to one that is best for the, for the end user, the customer, and then of course the shareholder value of our company, and everybody wins. And that's why I like to make sure that, uh, sure, these are individual recognitions, but uh, when they're announced, uh, my title and my company is part of that announcement. And one other thing I'll say, a, a very wise executive told me when I was a young man, is always remember, the company really makes you. And I thought that was interesting, because we tend to think that, well, we work hard, we're smart, we work. But in fact, if I didn't have a platform called today, the Hewlett Packard Enterprise Company, and in the past, or at the National Insurance Company, the IBM company, if I didn't have that platform, uh, I could not yeah. perform. It would be like an actor, you know, not having a stage. And so without that platform, and then people criticizing me, helping me from my own company uh, to make sure that uh, uh, indeed you're on the right track and you can achieve these accomplishments. So I have to give a lot of credit to my company. I think of uh, uh, Antonio Neri, our CEO, I think of a former senior VP, Alain Andreoli, that uh, both believed in these new ideas that we that my team and I have been able to you know create here, and also credit goes to the team because a lot of these awards come from not just uh, visioning uh, and talking about how good it's going to be in the future. They come from the fact that you have executed, created, and deployed the solutions, right, or the program, you know, not just the idea. If the team doesn't do that, I'm just a science fiction writer. A talking head and a science fiction writer, right, of the team. So I have to give a lot of credit to people uh, recently, um, like Ron Nalen and uh, Gerald Klein. I think of the uh, sales teams that we've had that have been out there, led by Olivier Frank. I think of the uh, product management people uh, that have made it happen, uh, you know, as well. And when uh, these awards do come uh, to me, these industry recognitions from analysts and uh, media, um, I have to say that uh, I'm just representing the team you know, who executed it. You are uh, extremely well represented in social media. I am guessing that some of the answers 
you just gave two previous questions equally applied to your activities in social media. But can you elaborate a little bit? How do you use social media? What are your strategies and, and why? Well, again, I've had some good help because I'm uh, not a social media expert as, as well. And it is, it is amazing. I remember the early days when Twitter uh, just came about and nobody's ever heard of it. Well, I heard about it from my children. <laughs> and I have to say, my son, Jason, who is a millennial, uh, teaches me so much about this. And if it wasn't for him, and then also his sister, my daughter, Michelle, also a millennial. Michelle is an electrical engineer. And my son is an entrepreneur. He has a marketing and a uh, user experience company, right? So th this generation, I've been fortunate to have millennial children. Uh, we had our children, you know, and we got married when I was young and had our children. Now that's where I get a lot of this inspiration. They've, they've helped me. And then uh, when I remember talking about Twitter many years ago, no one knew it in the audience, right? And it was fascinating for me to watch how it has evolved from just, you know, I just ate my toast or boy, it's a beautiful day to um, being a formal tool, right? With a lot less ceremony, a lot more direct uh, marketing. And now we've evolved to having vice presidents of social media in large companies, right? It's just been fascinating to see that. Now, so Somi, as it's called, right, is uh, indeed the tool, you know, for marketing. Uh, I uh, have, a, I'll answer your question a, a little bit that th those people, as well as professionals, uh, social media experts have helped me to understand a couple of things. And I noticed in speaking, uh, there's so much data and information today that you have to sort it out, right? I mean, how many of these videos are gonna be out there for people to watch? If you can understand that if people have a choice, a choice now, to be either educated or entertained, which one will they pick? If it's a choice, it's gonna be entertained. Why? Because the education value is everywhere. You can click on anything and get educated, right? Now they want both. I'm not saying this is either or, but if they have a choice. So you always have to add a little bit of an entertainment value because let's face it too, we live in a very stressful world, even before all the current issues that are happening globally and socially, life is stressful, time is stressful. So uh, by combining some uh, of that uh, uh, humor and a, a different approach that may not be necessarily cause people to LOL, laugh out loud, but uh, the point is just that it's a, it's a different approach. So these are some of the uh, approaches I take. It's my style. It's what they call my voice as well. But also there's a very strong um, differentiated part of the education. Much of what I post is unavailable. Some of it has been copied. Like today, um, talking about the convergence of OT and IT, we pioneered that idea. Uh, actually, back when I was at National Instruments, even before I joined uh, Hewlett Packard. Uh, today, you can find that all over the place. People are saying, um, you know, the seven reasons to compute at the edge we came out with before everybody believes in edge computing now, right? And that was a day when, in fact, even a... Um, I remember when I uh, was publishing the seven reasons to not send the data to a cloud, the seven reasons to compute at the edge, right? The same, same way. Uh, that was right at the time where a, um, a company, IBM, uh, with, with uh, arm holdings uh, or uh, at, the, at the time, published a press release saying they have a relationship. It's going to be device with arm technology, right? Sent to clouds, which is what IBM has done with their acquisitions and they're, you know, a formidable player. And you notice they didn't say anything in between. It was just gonna be device to cloud, device to cloud. So that was what the world thought. Everything will be sent from sensors, everything will be sent from devices to the cloud. Well, lo and behold, after discovering seven reasons, uh, which I learned from customers, 
all over the world, you know, from the UK to Japan, of course, in the US, uh, it became more and more apparent that we need to create a enterprise class set of products at the edge, not just small devices, mm-hmm. not, not Raspberry Pi level, not ARM core levels uh, back then, right? And there's nothing wrong with them. They have their place. Uh, not Adam, not Intel Adam level, but I'm talking about, let me pick uh, the Intel product, full capability, right, of a, of a Xeon you know, processor with high performance graphics at the edge. I personally shared that idea with the former CEO of Intel in a meeting. And it was um, uh, amazing because while I was talking about the vision for uh, uh, the idea of having enterprise class compute at the edge, right? Literally lifting or what I was calling shifting left out of the data center and running everything. Citrix compatible, right? Certified for Windows, uh, you know, not just again, uh, a small cores or, or what I would call drive-by or junior versions, but literally. And uh, I said, we will be selling the high performance products, meaning the Xeon line at the edge eventually. It will come out of the data center. And uh, when I did that, people stopped texting while I was talking and they looked up at me. So I admit I was boring. They were, te- you know, when you start talking to people, they start texting or they start you know, doing email and the room stopped. Everybody looked up. And now why did they look up? Because uh, I provided a piece of education, if you will, or a new concept that was related to growing their business. Because what would you rather sell? A low cost, low margin product uh, or a high margin product? You know, what would, when I say, I'm talking about profit margin here from a supply side, right? So now when we create an opportunity at the edge and we back to social media, we tell people about that, it becomes more and more interesting oh, there's a third place, like I talked about earlier, called the edge. Well, I thought the edge was going to be, you know, compromised little devices and it would just be networking to the cloud. And we changed that, you know, we changed that paradigm. We pioneered that paradigm. Now, um, uh, Dell has uh, servers that are for the edge, made specifically for the edge. Lenovo has servers made specifically for the edge. No one has had the converged OT and IT uh, that we have, you know, as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm talking about competitors in the industry, uh, Cisco, of course, has a place to be there because the networking is very much an edge opportunity, especially Wi-Fi. There's not a lot of uh, Wi-Fi in the data center. As you know, it's mostly all you know, out at the edge. So now we're seeing a whole industry being pulled together, uh, driven by these ideas. And uh, there's so much to talk about. In fact, um, uh, I'll be able to talk about the first mover. And in, in, in fact, it's a book I'm writing uh, that talks about these experience on how to capture attention by translating it to both, you know, education and humor, like I said, as well. While at IBM and now here at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, you paid a lot of attention for on inclusion and diversity. Can you tell us what you said? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I know how it feels to be left out. <clears throat> I'm not claiming I know how it feels for others to be left out because I'm not others. I am who I am. This is the way God made me. But I have experienced that, and without getting too personal um, uh, on, on experiences in my past, it has affected me. One of the um, uh, most, uh, let me put it this way, uh, personal feelings of, um, of distress and, quote, feeling sorry is when I see someone alone. doesn't matter who it is, eating alone, an elderly person, right, or somebody who has uh, not been bullied and not friends, okay? So I think I went through those experiences so that when I uh, come to a point in my life like now where I can help and do something material, you know, and have a platform, uh, 
Um, he is serving the underdog and serving those who are non-included. Okay, I shared an experience and I wrote it on a blog and HPE published uh, a blog of me sharing experience when I was uh, left out of a, um, a band, when I was uh, a music band, because I also uh, uh, am a musician, I've been in bands. Um, I also do an Elvis Presley impersonation and um, I was left out, right? And then how that made me feel <clears throat> and that's also being included isn't just being part of it. You have to also be um, what I call inclusion that matters. So the full inclusion isn't just being present. Okay, come on along. Okay, sit in the meeting. Okay, I'll put you on my uh, distribution list. Uh, that's only the first step. The next step is to uh, empower, yeah. right? Not only include, but empower. Um, and then make it matter, inclusion that matters. So uh, I'm going back to why I'm motivated to, to do this. So uh, there are certain, uh, uh, you know, demographics of people who are uh, included in some things and not included in others. So a couple of things I focus on. <clears throat> um, those who are poor and homeless are obviously unincluded in society. It's a controversial subject. I've uh, studied it. I've worked with homeless for many years. But at the end of the day, um, uh, I'm, I'm interested in helping them. And therefore, I started a, um, what would I call a charity called SockRelief.com. And we provide socks, one of the most overlooked um, uh, items for the homeless, right? People do donate food. They donate coats, of course, and other things, but many times forget or neglect socks you know, as well. So uh, SockRelief.com is uh, more, you know, more information on that one. A second thing I like to invest in is the new or what we call early tenure employee or the young, we call it the Young Employees Network here at HPE, is because uh, making them feel included and making them feel they matter uh, is extremely important on a per, just a personal level, but also think about it on a professional level. Uh, if a, uh, let me say, a technical employee resigns and doesn't feel included within the first few years, it's a loss of money to the company. And what I mean by that is, and you know this well as, as managing people and, and helping young people, is they don't pay back, if you will, an ROI to the company um, uh, uh, until after a few years. Now they're valuable immediately, but my point is at, at a higher level at the end of the day, the financial um, uh, benefit isn't enjoyed by the company for, you know, after so, so many matter of years, depending on the level. Now uh, that's bad for the company, but it's also bad for the individual because they were all excited about joining the company. Now they have to perhaps move. They're dis disillusioned or disappointed, you know, so, so I invest in mentoring there. And then of course, um, women in tech is an extremely important topic for me. My greatest contribution to women in technology or women in STEM is my daughter, Michelle Ray, because she is a Bachelor of Electrical Engineering uh, right now and is gainfully employed uh, doing engineering um, at a company you know, called Belkan Engineering. And so uh, that to me was a great experience because um, her growing up, getting through school in a, in a predominantly male, um, overly predominantly male, you know, um, uh, uh, a vocation, as we know, electrical engineering, was uh, uh, great for me to see. And I was able to help her, you know, as well. So I like to advise uh, womeninclouds.com is another, um, uh, you know, empowerment uh, um, for um, those uh, who are listening to get involved in. And I uh, work as an advisor there as well. And uh, these things are, are important. And I, I have to say, I don't, I don't come across as, um, or want to, promote myself as being any uh, more righteous or, you know, virtue signaling here. But I want to answer your question that I do believe it, it's an inner thing that has caused me to want to do this. It's not an external, oh, well, it's right and an obligation. 
but I'm driven a lot by emotion uh, here to do this. And we can debate whether that's good or not, but that's the answer to the question. What a great way to end the podcast. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Tom. Uh, uh, a lot of insights. I mean, I really learn a lot. And I hope- uh, well, It's my pleasure. And um, I thank you for having me.